Welcome to the Corporate Caffeine Podcast. Today's episode is actually a recording from one of my recent live streams. I do these every Wednesday at 12.30 Central on Facebook and on LinkedIn. I'd love for you to join me there. Just a warning though, these are a little weirder and a lot more personal. So I hope you enjoy and let's go ahead and dive right in. Hey you guys, Dacia Coffee here and it is our weekly episode of Corporate Caffeine. So welcome back for a whole bunch of you and thank you guys so much for all of your encouragement and your messages. It is amazing to know that there is a community out there that is aligned around values and philosophy and what the business world is supposed to be, which is about meeting, personal meeting, bringing your best. It's about connection to one another and serving instead of selling and being good to people, allowing your business mind to have human impact. And it's about prosperity for all. And so, so much mad love for all of you guys, um, you know, just from the encouragement and that you guys show up and you watch and you comment and you ping me and you connect with me and it is incredible. Um, big celebration week for me. Um, the recorded version is going to be kind of funny. Um, it will be a little bit late. But that is okay because I am live. It's here. The long-awaited book. I cannot believe I am literally holding this thing. I'm so excited. Um, so I've talked loads about the blood, sweat, and tears and crazy in my own head that it took in order to get this live. So I'm not going to talk about that today. You can find this on Amazon. You can find it on iuniverse.com. You'll be able to find it on daciacoffee.com. And there is an audible version coming out next month. So we'll make an announcement about them. For those of you who love to listen while you run or drive or whatever, I'm a big fan of those. And so the audiobook will be coming. So very, very exciting. And so shifting gears just a little bit, the topic I picked today is B2B sales techniques. And I don't just mean the run-of-the-mill B2B sales techniques. I mean outstanding, amazing ones that help you land more business, that help you shorten your sales cycle, that help you grow faster, and even better, be good to people. Be good to people in the meantime. So super, super excited about that. So what in heaven's name does a marketer, what do they have to say about selling their marketing after all? Well, first of all, many of you guys know that I cut my teeth in the first half of my career in business to business sales. And so it is my first love. You also cannot own your own business without having a sales hat on and challenging yourself to get better at it. And for me personally, um, because I'm such a passionate believer in servant leadership, it takes me off that people think sales is a smarmy, weird thing because it's not. Really amazing, talented salespeople are guiding buyers in integrity through difficult decisions. There is a lot of cognitive load, heavy, heavy load when it comes to business to business sale because the deals are huge. Um, there is a lot on the line. Sometimes they are career making or breaking. And so there's a lot. And great marketers do a lot of thinking, proactive and predictive thinking 
around what do buyers care about? How do decision makers think? How do they interact with information? How are they influenced? And guess what is good information for salespeople? That exact content. Also, shameless plug. This book is all about sales and marketing alignment. Shameless plug, shameless, I know, but I don't care. Um, so that's why I thought it's going to be a little fun to flip the coin and put my sales hat on instead of my marketing alignment hat on. And we're going to flat out talk about sales. Now, in total transparency, and um, for any of my prospects out there that might be watching, I love you. And yes, you have seen me do this stuff. <laughs> and um, you are going to see me do this. And I believe that you will appreciate it because it is an integrity. And so I am really giving away my secrets today, you guys. So, okay, let's go ahead and dive into the B2B sales techniques. I've got a lot on this page here. So hopefully you won't feel like it's jumping around. I don't think so because all of these are very interconnected. And so let's just see where this goes. All right. The first one is always, always focus on why someone is buying. And that why, I'm not going to make you guess what it is, it's the emotion behind the decision. What problems is it causing them? What stress and strain is it causing them? Um, it, you know, from one famous sales technique book, how is pain flowing through the organization? What additional pain for other people is it creating? Find out why this decision is creating a stressor. Find out why now. Why is this all of a sudden a priority? Why is this a priority over other things? You need to mirror, you need to uncover and then mirror back to them why this is important and why they are going to commit, go through a commitment to actually make a decision. Little side note on that one. The number one competition you have if you are in business to business sales is no decision at all. The vast majority of B2B decisions they spend loads of time and attention, and then there's so much friction and so much overwhelm, remember, cognitive load, that they decide not to decide at all. And that is a massive fail on the salesperson's part, but also on the decision maker's part, because they still have that problem. They made no progress, no traction on a strategic initiative, and that is inappropriate, and that is a lack of service a lack of guidance and, and for, you know, for them to come to the conclusion, this isn't worth it. Horrible, horrible. So mirroring pain and figuring out what's really behind the reason. Now on this note, you will rebring this reason up, this stressor, this why, this pain mirroring, you will bring it up every single time to validate that that is still true and that nothing has happened in the organization or to remind them of the urgency that they set, the priority they set, not you. So this is not manipulation. This is simply making sure that you're in lockstep with why they continue to prioritize this in their business. So that's number, that's number one. I don't know why I'm numbering these other than it helps me keep organized. So I guess I will change the topic later to, you know, whatever top 10 or 15 list. There's a lot on here. Okay, so the next one is um, one that I really get excited and frustrated by. Um, 
First of all, the problem that I hear so many CEOs or leaders say is, you know, sales leaders say, is I have a difficult time finding superstar sales talent. If you are looking for a person to be a magic bullet or fairy dust, you know, just all of a sudden turn around, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be a problem. And there are those people. There's not a lot of them, but there are those people, and they are expensive. And they know it because they bring a lot of value. So can you win if you can't attract those? Yes, because the thing that all organizations, even ones that have top tier sales talent should be thinking is that number one, that is trainable skill set, a trainable skill set. And number two, a system of servant leadership inside the sales process, system, process, servant leadership, you can actually create a map that can be trained and that can up-level sales talent, think people with good communication skills that enjoy the hunt, that enjoy that competitive nature of sales and enjoy serving people, right? So people, people. You can create a system that is very trainable and that optimizes and maximizes everybody's skill set because it's the system that works not just one or two people. Because guess what happens when your superstar quits? You're screwed. That's what happens. So you would better have a process that is proven in order to do that. So um, example is, and a lot of times people think, oh, the sales process sounds something like this. Identify the need. Validate the need. Meet the decision maker. Give a proposal. Give a demo. Give another proposal. Negotiate. No, no, that is the what, that is what is happening. And that is very um, self-serving. It is not guiding the customer. So what you need to be thinking is number one, what I just talked about, you need to validate why now, like, is it a strong enough sense of urgency and a strong enough problem that they really, really have to solve this no matter what it takes including when other fire drills come up from other areas of the business, are they going to continue to prioritize that? So that, that pain identification or, you know, getting them to name the pain behind the value and the why they're deciding to purchase really, really important. And that can be a phase one and it can be trained. You can figure out how to teach people, salespeople, how to guide that conversation, how to help a prospective customer think through, is this the right time to solve this and how do I know? And then of course, moving through that, making sure that as you engage with other influencers or other decision makers, that they agree and align with that pain. And so you start identifying what really does have to happen. So if you're in front of an influencer, you do have to get in front of a decision maker, but then you have to validate their pain. And then you need to identify what their decision-making criteria is. Can you identify what their consensus process is, what their decision process, what their timeline is? And these are just examples, um, but you want to think through what are the steps that really clearly communicate to you and to your salesperson and to the buyer that there's progress being made and that there is agreement on both sides that this is the next step. So documenting that and being really, really thoughtful about what are the human phases 
that must happen in order for a complex cell to occur is transformative. And then these phases need to be in your CRM system. These phases need to be in your training manual. These phases need to be in your pre-planning checklist for salespeople. There's a million different ways and a, diff and a million different ways to support salespeople into excellence by doing that. And then in addition, you can use marketing collateral and other amazing sales tools that align with what's actually happening. Not just random, give me a case study, give me a worksheet, give me a this, give me a that, but really, really thoughtfully aligning marketing and sales so that the tools that a salesperson uses are natural and appropriate and delivering the most value to the prospective customer, not just to you. So clean up your sales pipeline, name it, build a process, optimize it, figure out how to track, track where you're losing people and what phase, because then you can optimize that system. Side note, a book that I really, really love in regards to this is Lean Selling. Lean Selling, I'll put it in the notes. Um, I also love um, The Lost Art of Closing. I think I'm butchering that title, but I will also put it in the close because it does a really great it's a great job of clarifying what building a human-centered sales pipeline actually looks like so that you're becoming a guide and you're serving instead of selling. Okay, so moving on. This is actually an example of that sales collateral. If your solution has quantified impact for the buyer, and especially if it's difficult to quantify, but you, in your mastery, know how to do that, do create a worksheet. Do create things where there's a questionnaire in person in the discovery process where you can help the prospective buyer decide for themselves where's the quantified value. So there are so many things that you can take off the screen that you can simplify by having fill in the blank type of things and worksheets and tools that number one show that you know how to be predictive and supportive and that won't lie because whatever is filled out on the worksheet tells the truth, right? And so it's highly trustworthy because it's not just what you say, take your word for it, but instead what you're showing as possible is it's just a highly effective tool. So again, be thinking how to build collateral, especially collateral that can quantify value. This is incredibly important. So Consider bringing, a, a, and I call that a value worksheet. So consider creating a value worksheet. Um, so moving on, on that word value, this is really important. What you think about your solution does not matter. Does not matter. I don't care how beautiful you think your baby is. I don't care how much better you think it is, how much faster, cheaper, more desirable, incredible, excellent, better customer service, I don't care, and neither does your prospect. The only thing that matters when you're talking about value is how the customer defines value. The customer defines value, whether you like it or not. So it goes back up to that initial conversation around why now, what's driving the pain, what pain is driving the decision to move forward and to seek a solution, right? So that's what you are really looking for here when you're talking about value. It's not what you think, not what they should think, but what they do think about how value is defined. And then you guys, 
Be explicit about that and only focus on that. If they don't value some of your other whiz bang features and benefits and differentiators, they don't. Stop talking about them. They don't. Validate that what you heard is really how they define value. Ask amazing questions about why and why that's important if they've gotten burned on that before and how that became priority for them. And just pay attention. And then again, serve instead of sell. Stay with them. Align with them. Offer explanations and support around what they see as value. If they are valuing something, give them advice and insight around maybe they're putting inappropriate, you know, uh, like emphasis on that and why it could hurt them, but have a real conversation around value. And just remember, it's not your definition that matters. It's theirs. And if you can't get aligned with that, your sales cycle will stall. It will slow down and eventually they will have no decision or they will pick somebody else. So value is defined by the customer. So, so critical. I see so many sales people talk too much because they are uncomfortable in quietness or in difficult conversations. That is about you instead of about them. You want to be helping the buyer to make a great decision. And if you have a worthy product, you're going to give them advice about how to know if it's yours and how to know if it's somebody else's. And you will accelerate revenue growth by telling the truth. I can tell you so many stories personally from my clients, but especially from my own sales experience where I told prospects they were not, that we were not the right fit. And I explained why. And then I gave them advice about how to make a better decision somewhere else. Do you know the relationship equity gained from that? Do you have the confidence gained from that? It carries through and it's amazing what happens in reverse to referrals and all this other stuff, but you have to be bold enough and good enough to walk away when you aren't the right decision. So that was kind of an extra one there around value. Um, but tell the truth, do it right. Be proud of yourself, right? And teach the market that you are somebody that is worthy of being listened to. That's where real authority comes in. Okay. So um, I have already beat this one to death, but I am going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to go ahead and name that little bonus one, serve, don't sell. If you see a client nodding a whole bunch, you're selling because they're just going, uh-huh, time for you to shut up. Yep, I totally agree. Yeah, I get that. That's great. Yeah. Uh -huh. No, they are not saying, yes, I agree with you. Yes, you're amazing. No, that is not what nodding up and down means. Typically, they're trying to just shut you up so they can move on. Serve, don't sell. Make sure you are paying close attention and asking questions and keeping the focus on them instead of on yourself. Okay, shifting gears a little bit over to, um, I had mentioned this word authority, but also to filling your pipeline from a sales perspective. Be active on social media. Be active on the social media platform that your buyers are on. For many of us, that's LinkedIn, not for everyone though. So make sure you know where your buyers go and go where they go. And you should be spending 30 minutes to an hour a day on that social media platform. And what should you be doing? Commenting on possible prospects, learning, watching the competition, giving free advice on your own page, doing video, but engage, send people messages, give them congratulations. Um, offer in free insights and again, serve, don't sell. If you give something powerful enough 
People will ask for a meeting. I swear, they will ask you for a meeting. It will be a very natural thing because they, you brought value, what they defined as value, right? And they want more. It's very, very simple. So make sure you're active in social media. Be out there. Have a point of view. Write articles. Make posts. An hour a day investment in you, in your authority, is a game changer for your long-term pipeline success. So very, very important. Because what ends up happening is people have heard you before. They see you on social media. They understand your philosophy. They understand your heart. They will hold you accountable for that, which is awesome. And number two, they feel like they already know you, which makes a sales conversation so much more comfortable because you're aligned already and they know why. They know why they've decided to talk to you, which is amazing. Okay. So moving on, I'm roughly on number seven on this one. Use transformation stories instead of case studies. Too many case studies sound like we delivered this and it was better than other people and they had a great outcome. It's not horrible. It's just not terribly compelling and it's definitely lacking in emotion. So what I prefer is the transformation story where you're putting the customer at the center. So what was the problem? that a customer set what that a customer faced and how did they feel about it? Very important. Going back to number one around what's the pain or what's the real reason that's driving this decision, right? So what scenario were they in that was challenging and not good and not feeling good? And then what was the outcome after you worked with them? So middle section around what you delivered needs to be pretty simple, like pretty bare bones. Like we worked with them and they took advantage of these two aspects of our services or of our products. And this is the happy ever after that they had. And now they are able to do more and be more and fulfill their potential and this, then that, but it's a transformation story. It's a similar story arc that movies and all amazing forms of entertainment follow because the humans are at the center of the story, the challenges, the things that they faced, how they overcame their own problems. They're never telling you about the engineering of the lightsaber, right? Never, never does that show up in a movie. Take a tip from that and then they're happily ever after, right? So use transformation stories over case studies. All right. I am jumping around a little bit, but that's okay. I'm just going to keep powering through. Another one is I want you to take the lead on the sales process. What I see frequently with salespeople is they say, um, what do I need to get you next to make a decision? It's respectful. It's not bad. It's just not strong. So what I prefer is if you had taken the advice and outlined your sales process, you know what's next and you're able to go, okay, here's my recommended next step. Tell me what you think about that. And so you're leading it and you're able to match it to how it'll help them inform their own decision-making process and become educated in an efficient way that they can make an informed decision. So taking the lead, not asking the prospect, what did they need to see next? Because typically with B2B sales, they haven't made this decision a million times, so they don't really know, but you do. You've done this lots of times. You do know what they should be asking. You do know what they should be seeing. You do know the conversations they need to do. So sit down and document that and make those recommendations. Oftentimes it can even sound like, 
all right, prospective customer, here's what I recommend. Go back and either answer these questions or write this down or think this through. Go get this type of answer. On my side, I am going to go get these other answers. And we're going to meet on the middle on the next call. And we're going to go through that to find out if this is a good fit for you. And so you're clear about what happens. The other great thing is when you have this documented system and when you are choosing to take the lead, if you're thinking in your head, I know what comes next, but you can hear the client is not ready for that, then they're not. And you can use your critical thinking skills, which we all have, think on your feet to say, you know what, typically we would move here, but here's what I'm thinking for you specifically to really help make sure that this is the right timing and this is the right fit for you. So that is, um, that is a really big one. Also, it speaks volumes for confidence and for trustworthiness, because when you're taking the lead, it shows that you've done this before and that lots of other people have trusted you. And that makes it easy for a prospect to trust you also, because they see that you have been proven. So I love that. I love that one. Take the lead on the process. It simply feels good too. All right. Um, in regards to, I keep trying to, I keep hoping that my next one is going to like make sense, like segue, but these are, like I said, I'm jumping around a little bit, but it's okay because the topic is B2B sales techniques. And so you can cherry pick these because they all do stand on their own. They work better if they're put into a system, but they do stand on their own. So show instead of tell, show instead of tell. This is a great one. If you can show real life examples, if you can show clients, if you can show testimonials, if you can show examples, just show them, just show them the real work. Just say, hey, can I screen share for a second? Or, hey, do you wanna come see how we do that? Show instead of tell. Find opportunities to show. This actually goes back to the value worksheet, but don't take my word for it. So let them, um, let the numbers speak for themselves. If you have a quantifiable value, that type of thing, but show instead of tell. Now, when it is time to tell, don't be jargon. Be really, really careful about your silly acronyms and you know the words that make you sound pompous, even though they make you feel good because you sound smart and knowledgeable. They don't, they're just annoying and insulting. So be careful about jargon and be careful about being too broad. That was a little snarky, wasn't it? Anyways, be careful about being too broad. And the super simple solution to this is tell stories. Stories are more believable. You guys have heard me lecture a million times in a row. That transformation story is believable. But the other thing that happens inside of a story is that there's specifics, there's details that the prospect can think, oh, I know where I'm, I, I get that. I feel that or I, I've, um, I've experienced that or I've seen that in my own, in my own uh, world. And those details are believable because there can't be details in a story if it's a lie. We're just not most of us are not cognizant enough i am not to be able to navigate really fine details unless you're pulling from memory and something that was actually true so specificity is incredibly believable and incredibly helpful to a prospect in understanding what you do also some of your differentiation is hidden in those details but it's the stuff that you take for granted so if you're telling a story they might be thinking wow, the competition doesn't do it like that. Whoa, sneeze. <laughs> Excuse me. And so that is a really, really important thing because sometimes by telling a story, you're actually more effectively clarifying the way in which your company works and you as a business professional work versus 
how other people work and the prospect can read into that on their own. So after you show instead of tell, when it is time to tell, definitely implement stories instead of explanations. Um, next one. Okay, I'm going to shift over into, into um, pipeline. So I've got a couple controversial things I'm going to cover, and so I'm just kind of going to jump around a little bit. So first of all, it's really, really important when you have lead generation happening in your company, however you define that, whether it's cold calling or whether it's digital marketing or whether it's a million other different tactics where they're generating lukewarm leads at best. They're called MQLs or marketing qualified leads. So that just means somebody is somewhat interested in what you're saying and is not necessarily ready to buy, but they have they are paying attention to you. So it's very, very important when you get email addresses or people fill out a form on your website, not for a contact us, but for, for instance, like a sales download or something like that, um, that there is a clear process on how you work marketing qualified leads. So number one, actually, let me, let me back that up right behind. Define what a marketing qualified lead is. Clearly define people who filled out this form, you know, people with a lead score below X, Y, and Z clearly define what a marketing qualified lead is. Number two, have a clear process on how those leads are going to be worked. When do they get handed over to the salesperson? What activity metric does the salesperson need to be accountable for? What is the outcome that we're looking? What are the common questions that are happening? What is the psychological handoff that's happening from somebody to bounce from really high value marketing content into a real world sales conversation because the prospect is going to start feeling nervous because they don't want to be sold. People love to buy, but they hate to be sold. So clearly identify that. So that is a really, really important one. Salespeople hate to work marketing qualified leads because they can be a drain on their time. But the reason is, is because there's never been a thoughtful conversation about what is the definition? What is the right handoff? What is the expectation? And how do you navigate that conversation when they came up through the marketing pipeline. So marketing qualified leads. Next one is that garbage in, garbage out. Your marketers and your salespeople need to be having consistent conversations, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly or monthly or whatever, saying, hey, those marketing qualified leads that you guys did, how they turn out. So marketing should either be able to go into the CRM and look at the notes and look at the success ratios and figure out what's working and what's not. Ideally, it would be supported by human conversations. So marketing is gathering intel and they're able to hear even better. Sometimes those calls will be recorded is to hear the exact language, the exact human communication happening on both sides of the system. So there's so many places of optimization, so many places to keep more of what you're paying for. Really, really, really important. And then not only that, sales needs to validate for marketing. Those leads were worthy. Um, maybe they're not timely, but yes, these are the right people. Or no, these are not the right people. They will never be interested in garbage in, garbage out. But marketing is blind to that. If there is not that strong connection and that we play for the same team feeling of marketing and sales, sell, sell, sellers, you guys be careful not to point the finger at the marketers. They get defensive. They should. It's not appropriate. They are trying to help you. And so for you to just constantly say, 
these MQLs are terrible, marketing doesn't send anything, quality, are you being a part of the solution or just a complainer? There's a huge choice there and you need to be a part of the system and that baton handoff. You need to be an amazing team and you need to appreciate one another and make each other better. So huge, huge marketing sales alignment. Shameless plug, lots of thought around how to work marketing qualified leads and how to define the metrics around that on both sides of the tracks. Okay, um, moving on around pipeline. Um, uh, am I gonna move on to there? Yes, okay, I'm just gonna plow through the rest of my list instead of making you guys watch me think out loud. So thank you so much for your grace on allowing me to do that. Okay, so coming back to a couple of different things, um, once you're handling marketing qualified leads, um, understand their timeline. Right, like find out where they are in prioritization and also find out what else you're competing against. And I mean from a broad perspective. So timeline is one, but the other one is, um, is there another business priority that they're deciding between which one wins? Be bold enough to have the conversations about what's happening in their business and what else is what else is uh, could be affecting or aggravating this problem or standing in their way? Because that might end up being a hidden objection that you never know. There might be a sniper who's trying to get dollars allocated to an ERP implementation instead of you know whatever you sell, and that's a competition happening internally. And it might be something that you can give really healthy advice on both sides of the spectrum how to navigate that, but you can't help if they won't let, if you don't know that that's going on. And this is really shifting into a business advisory mindset, not just a sales role or a niche advisory mindset. So a business advisory, what is the maximum impact you can have on business and how do you help people navigate their con conflicting priorities and how do those conflicting priorities impact the success of what you are trying to guide them on. So really, really important. So it's a nuance um, from what I was talking about earlier, because this is, if you're talking more marketing qualified leads, they are still in that early situational awareness of how important do I think this is? What do I want to do? What are my strategic initiatives? Where is my alignment? What is the impact on the business? So you're really kind of taking a bigger zoomed out point of view on that. Give yourself permission to talk beyond your industry to be beyond your offering and it is transformative in regards to what happens and you definitely become the one to be because you're bringing more value before you issue an invoice which you know is one of my big things okay a shift on that later on as you move down that conversation um you hear a lot of sales conversations sales techniques um, talking about handling objections I really struggle with this phrasing. Um, I don't think that when a client, a prospective client says to you, um, I'm concerned about the price or I'm concerned about the implementation or the change management or um, the technology or the integration or whatever, whatever industry you're in. I don't think that's an objection. I think they are being amazing amazingly generous with you by letting you know what they're actually thinking and they're inviting you again to be a business advisor and to think through this with them 
Um, it's not about handling objection. And so serve, don't sell. Really go there with them. Really go, okay, tell me what you're thinking. What does that look like from the inside of your company? Why is this a concern? You know, have you been burned by this before? That type of thing. Really make sure you understand where they're coming from. That's first. And then really tell them the truth. Imagine that this is your best friend and what you care about more than making a sale is making sure your best friend does not get hurt by this decision. If your product is not the right fit for them, you would tell your best friend, right? And so you need to bring that type of meaning and connection and integrity into that objection handling phase because they are giving you clear concerns about the success of your product or service. Be good to them. Like they're opening up, they're being vulnerable. The worst possible thing that can happen is there are no objections to handle. And it's because they're not telling you the truth and because you did not create a scenario where they felt comfortable enough to. So again, if you see nodding late, especially late in the sales pipeline, which is where we're talking right now, you need to be worried. And so one of, one of the things I like to do is I like to say, you know, at this point, some people have concerns about A or about B. Are those going to be concerns for your organization? And a lot of times people say, you know what, it's funny that you brought that up. I was worried about that. And they'll go ahead and go to that. If those aren't concerns, which you might be thinking, I want to bring up concerns that aren't there. Really what usually happens is people go, no, I think we're good on those two counts, but I am a little concerned that here because basically you've communicated to them that you can have the maturity to not try to convince, but instead to have patience and stay in that servant leadership posture where they are able to have open, healthy communication without feeling connived or manipulated because they truly believe that by sharing their thoughts with you, they're going to receive something of value in return. They should be. And so it's a huge gift to you. So be careful really with that language around objections because I do think it brings something inappropriate in our mind psychologically, like something we have to overcome. We don't have to overcome anything. We simply have to walk through the maze and figure out the maze together. That's a huge paradigm shift, you guys. Huge, 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 huge. Um, tell the truth. I think I've pretty much hinted at this the whole entire time, but tell the truth. So if you're going, so this is an extension of the objection handling, but if you are hearing their concerns, um, you probably have insight on what they need to be thinking about, what they need to prepare for, the conversations they need to be having internally, maybe an audit or assessment they need to do, maybe some preparatory work that needs to happen in order to navigate that, or, a, or even advice around, here's how you know if this is right for you or how to move forward or, you know, here's this. So especially if you have tools that you can use and you can offer those worksheets or tools or frameworks to them in order to help them think that through, but tell the truth, you know, like I said, really be a problem solver instead of a seller. All right. I am on number 17. That's what I've been doing is writing them down and crossing them off as I've been going. So number 17 of B2B sales techniques, buyer's remorse happens before they're a buyer. Um, so what you need to understand is the second they start to trust you, the second they are immediately thinking, oh, I think this might be a solution. Fear starts to be triggered and they appropriately start worrying about the risk and the impact and all the things that should be going wrong. They are already in buyer's remorse. Oh gosh, what if this goes wrong? 
you've got to help them through that. This is where that no decision piece comes from. And it's because sellers are too nervous to aggravate the concerns that are going to slow something down. But actually those things are just going to sniper your deal. Those are the things why they're not going to move forward is because their fears are not addressed. And so number one, you've got to get them to the surface. You can consider the objections. Again, I disagree that that's what it is, but they are thinking about the implementation. They are future thinking and they're scared. They're scared that it's going to go wrong. And you really have to be there with them. You have to be painting a calm, frictionless picture of how this is going to be successful, how they can be prepared, how they can mitigate risk, how they can stay on top, how they can make this look, make them make this decision, make them look amazing, how they can use this to leverage um, advancement in their careers, all sorts of things. But you've got to get them over the hump and into that confident, optimistic posture that will create success once they say yes to you. But it happens before you close the deal. So speaking of closing the deal, you should choreograph how you close the deal. Now, this is not any of those nonsense, like always be closing or any of those monikers. No, what I mean by that is in business to business selling, closing the deal has a lot of levers and details, lots of dotting of the I's and crossing the T's. Oftentimes there is a demo or there is a technical review. Um, there is consensus building that has to happen. There is obviously budget and negotiation. There are terms and conditions that might have to be signed. For some of you, you have to go through an RFP process. Um, there are so many things. And typically when we do a sales mapping exercise with a client, we end up seeing anywhere between three and sometimes as many as 10 specific actions that have to happen before you get a PO or before you get a check and you are able to actually ship and deliver and implement what you are selling. So this is really, really important because there's a lot of friction that happens late in the game. There's a lot of slowdowns. Legal can slow things down. Compliance can slow things down. Technical reviews can slow things down. So sometimes you can effectively reorganize certain elements so they happen a little bit earlier or so that you can prep the client to make those go smoother. There's also a million different ways that you can make all of these tiny little things much easier for the client, digitize them, automate them, have checklists, have preparedness surveys, all sorts of things that again, allow you to take the lead, allow you to prove that you have done this before and calm the fear and nervousness and mess that happens when a big deal is about to be closed. So choreograph your closing process, the actual details of that. And then the final one I am going to say, and this is number 19, is about pricing. Um, I am going to get some arguments on this on two sides. So in my opinion, once you have been able to build value with the customer, you should have pricing discussion as early as possible as early as possible. If they are really hungry and they already see the value of your, of your offering, you need to have the budget conversation really, really early if they are the decision maker. So there's not sticker shock. Um, I also recommend always give pricing with context. Right. So make sure you're talking about the value that it can bring. Make sure you're talking about what is lost 
if you don't make a decision, like what is there to risk out a no decision? And also talk about the ranges that they are going to see in the industry. So then when you give your price, they're not responding to your price, but they're saying, okay, now I understand the context and here's where their price falls, high end, low end, middle, whatever. So educate them around um, hearing the pricing so that it makes sense and they can kind of position, tell the truth because they're going to hear this from your competitors. And so you better be the one doing it the best and telling the most truth because you can lose the deal on this one. And then also I, I like giving customers options. Number one, when you give customers options, you're creating space for them to ask better, smarter questions because then they're looking at different options and saying, does that bring value to me? Do, do we have that covered? Okay, and literally by seeing different options, they're gaining knowledge and they're becoming a more informed decision maker, which is excellent. The other thing that happens with pricing is you're putting options, you versus you, or maybe even versus you, right? And so there's multiple things where they can engage with you multiple ways, but if you have one price, it's you versus your competitor. So let me reframe that again. You versus you versus you versus your competitor, or just you versus your competitor. Stack the deck in your favor. Give them more information, not less. Make sure that these pricing models are well thought out and simple. Do not add loads of words. Do not put a contract in front of them when it's actually a proposal. Proposals should be neat and tidy in crystal clear where they can self-present back to their internal team without you. Proposals must be brilliantly simple. So I guess that was probably more than one, but I did just want to have a little mini conversation around pricing. And so the last one that I'm going to go into, and so again, every single one of these tactics can stand on their own, can drive quantified impact for you. But what I would like you to be thinking is two things. Number one, how do we build that total approach to having impact before the invoice, to being super good to people, and to using your marketing and your selling as its own differentiator in addition to the amazingness of what you deliver? What if you were so aligned that everything about how you do business, including how you serve and not sell, how you market, which is bring value and impact the industry for the better, for their personal gain. What if that alone set you apart? I believe it does. We work our butts off to do that for our prospects and to make sure that everybody that talks to us comes out elevated no matter what. And I say oftentimes that we end all sales cycles with either a customer or a friend and both are great. You guys, both are great and both are worthy and you should have both, right? So I wish you the best. I wish you so much selling, um, for any of my local folks, I would love to see you at the book launch that is on April 29th for any of you guys that are listening to this recorded. So in the future, it's always so weird saying that I actually have a different event that I think you would be um, really interested in. There is an incredible group over in Dallas, um, a partnership, uh, loose partnership or co-promotion 
scenario, I suppose. New Life CFO, they offer um, fractional CFO financial services, and then also 360 Consulting. They do these amazing business entrepreneur educational forums. They are incredible. Some of the top talent in the DFW market, and they do panel, private panel discussions for, you know, loosely 70 to 80 people. It's high value. I mean, they are amazing. I myself have learned so much and had immediate impact on our business from being in that room and talking to the people in that room. So I really, really encourage you to check that out. That is in the um, third week of May. And so if you're interested, it is by invitation only. So please send me an email or a direct um, a direct message. Um, you can also look up Burt Copeland or Chris Goad online and reach out to them and investigate these events. They are incredible. So hopefully Bert and Chris are okay with me promoting this event and giving you a little bit of insider information into, some, into what some of the movers and shakers around here do. But it is all about driving revenue growth. It's about sales and marketing alignment, and there's going to be a wide panel. Of course, spoiler alert, one of my CMOs is going to be on that panel, the amazing Daisy McCarty, um, but there's going to be some other really, really talented marketers and sales leaders on that panel, and it's going to blow you away. I've talked to a few of them already. So, happy selling. I hope you got something out of this. Um, I would love to hear the things that I left off. I am always a student of being better to people. And I think selling and learning how to serve and not sell is absolutely critical to this. So please return the favor, um, gift it back to me, um, share your resources, your favorite books, your favorite sales trainers, your favorite leaders, give kudos and shout outs, tell people, hey, this made me think of you if you found it worthy. And um, yeah, let's just go create more prosperity for one another together. So my friends, thank you so much. I see some comments back there, but I'm having technical difficulties and can't read those right now. So I will hop in to the comments and chat it up with you guys. As always, I appreciate y'all so, so much. And onward and upward. Bye.